To answer is human, to question is divine. Welcome to the world of the Hidden Gateway, an exhilarating podcast exploring the concepts humans have been struggling with since the dawn of existence, such as, who are we? Is there such a thing as good and evil, or are they arbitrary constructs? Does the paranormal exist? How can we evolve to a higher state? Can our mind influence what we term as reality? Providing a transcendental approach combined with hard-nosed humanistic analysis, we invite you on a journey to question your worldview in this theater of life. Join our host, Justin Williams, as he explores the outer realms of faith, the supernatural, human potential, and even our concepts of the universal creator with a fascinating array of guests. This is the unseen world, magical, mysterious, and mystical, where your only limitation is your imagination. This is The Hidden Gateway. Welcome back to the Hidden Gateway Podcast. I am your host, Justin Williams. Now, before we get started with this week's show, I just want to ask if you haven't done so already, please like and subscribe to the show on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. This will be a tremendous help for us to reach an even larger audience across all platforms. As always, your support is greatly appreciated, and I thank you all. Today's guest is Mr. David Such. David is a retired engineer and certified spiritual counselor. During a painful and chronic physical condition that triggered severe depression, he clicked on a YouTube video about an atheist who died momentarily and saw heaven. This led David on a 15-year journey of research into near-death experiences, including the testimonies of over 1,000 people who have died, seen the afterlife, and returned. David, welcome to the Hidden Gateway Podcast. Thank you for inviting me on the show today. All right. Well, man, you know, um, as I mentioned before we hit record here, you know, I learned about you several weeks ago, and I just have to tell you, you know, your work is truly fascinating to me. Um, you know, we, we've talked about these topics before on the Hidden Gateway podcast, and I'm really looking forward to uh, receiving your insight regarding NDEs. Uh, but before we dive into that, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, man, um, how you were raised. I'm, I'm curious to know if you were raised either Christian, Catholic, or any other type of religion? And what was your journey, your path like to um, doing uh, research regarding NDEs? Well, I was raised Catholic, and I was probably in that religion to about age 14. And then I converted to Christianity, or what's called a born-again Christian. And then I came down with a chronic illness in uh, 99, 1999, tendonitis throughout my whole body got worse and worse and worse. And I kind of came to the conclusion that God doesn't care about me or doesn't exist. And then I clicked on a YouTube video in 2007. And this one, YouTube was fairly new back then. It was hard to find near-death experience testimonies. And it was just came up in my feed. I wasn't searching for it or anything. And I clicked on it. And uh, that's kind of when I started my near-death experience research. And I tried to match it for a long time to Christianity. But what near-death experiencers say can't be matched to any particular religion. There's lots in common, 
with what they say and what religions say. But then I sort of just became, you know, probably the closest thing would be a new age spiritualist. It's been quite a journey. Okay. I bet, man. So a new age spiritualist, that's the closest thing to what you became. Okay. And I can imagine that your research and, and personal experiences have had a profound um, aspect on your life. I, I, you know, tell me about that. How has that changed you um, in regards to your beliefs, your ideologies, and how you live your life since you literally interviewed, you know, thousands of people regarding their experiences? Well, yeah, you know, it's very interesting. People who study near-death experiences, like myself, who have never had one, tend to take on some of the same attributes, probably not to the same degree or intensity as those who have had the experiences. But those who have near-death experiences, they come back and whatever they were chasing in their life before, whatever was their main thing, whether it was career or politics or a certain hobby or sport or activity or a relationship or whatever, that tends to take a back seat and their number one priority becomes to be a loving person, to have meaningful um, friendships and relationships, and to make a contribution to humanity. And I took on some of those same changes. So it changed everything, every aspect of my life, the way I view politics, the way I see nature. You know, I used to see nature as a resource. Well, I found out from these experiences, nature is alive and has a consciousness and trees have a consciousness and animals have Mm. thoughts and feelings. And it's important to treat everyone with love and compassion. It changed the focus of my life. You know, before it was, I'll be nice to other people and cordial, but it's all about me. And if I, if I have to screw someone over, that's okay. Well, I found out from near-death experiences, you know, we're all connected. Anything you do to another person, you're harming the whole because you're connected to them. And anytime you help them, you're helping the whole because you're connected to them. So it really changed just the way I behave in my daily life. Even now, um, you know, I'll do things that I would have never thought of doing before. If I see a piece of trash, you know, I'll pick it up in nature or I'll be nice to people mm. who are being really mean to me. I don't always manage that now. <laughs> I lose my temper just like everybody else. <laughs> it, it really changed. That's my a tough one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it changed every aspect and it even changed the way I viewed religion and, and so forth. And I'm, I'm less judgmental and, and that kind of thing. I still have my same flaws. They're just not as prevalent as they were before. I see. I see. So it sounds like you've definitely gained a profound sense of awareness uh, regarding uh, nature. And I, I don't know, would it be okay for me to say the, <clears throat> excuse me, the spiritual, spiritual world as well? Oh, absolutely. I believe in a lot of things that are unseen, you know, in culture, in our worldwide culture, when you believe in esoteric spiritual subjects, you're kind of looked at as crazy because they say, well, where's your proof? There's right. no evidence. Well, there's a lot of things in society. We believe that there's no direct evidence for. I mean, people believed in black holes long before we had any direct concrete evidence. So, uh, but I think more and more people are waking up to a higher truth. Yeah. Right. Right. Now I've listened to many near death experience stories on YouTube myself over the years. And it, one thing I, I find is, you know, there are several, you know, common similarities, right. That a lot of people say. And one of those would be, that we create our reality before we even arrive here on earth? Yes. So there's a process that goes on. So just as a human being 
likes to read a really good book or watch a good movie to kind of experience a different reality or maybe take a vacation to someplace they've never been before and everything's different. Souls like to leave the comfort of their home up there in heaven and have an earthly experience. And they will generally sit down with others in their soul group and then maybe some elders or guides who are more experienced. And the whole idea is you want to take on enough challenges so that you learn and grow, but not so many challenges that you fail. So you choose your parents, you choose various roles. So soul groups will incarnate together, just like friends go on vacations together and they'll say, well, okay, this time we're going to be brothers that, you know, are really close. And next time we're going to be, you know, boss and employee that hate each other. And they take on all these different roles and they plan out all the major events, Hmm. kind of like a vacation itinerary. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, this is predestination. So we have no free will. Well, no, a vacation itinerary You have complete free will. You can always change the itinerary if you want. And when you come down here, you don't have to follow any of the plans that you planned uh, in the the afterlife. But people generally tend to stick to their plans. It's pretty rare to say, you know, I'm going to go spend two weeks in China. And you get there and say, well, I don't like this. I'm going to Canada instead. It happens. (laughs) And I've heard about, you know, near-death experiences who said they got to heaven and were told, well, this is the time you decided to die. But... If you go back, these are going to be the benefits to mankind and then the people and so forth. So, yeah, you can change that itinerary, but everything's planned. And from a a heaven perspective, there are no victims. And a lot of people who have led harsh lives and, you know, have been abused or, or horrible things done to them, they don't like to hear that. But the truth is their soul, long before they came here, where was aware of those potentials and suffering is a horrible thing to have to go through. But it's also the fastest, uh, most efficient teacher time-wise. So we do choose the major events of our life. And from an earthly perspective, certainly there are victims. But not from our soul's perspective. We know what we're getting into before we come down here. It's a tough place to be. And that's why those in heaven consider us kind of like uh, daredevil souls. We're considered courageous to those in heaven. Really? That's interesting. Huh. Okay. Okay. Now, obviously, you know, we, we make the decision to, to come here. Do we ever get asked to come here? Like maybe by God, does, does God go to certain souls and say, Hey, I need you to do this. And then at that point, do, will we still have free will to say, yes, father, whatever you want and need, or no, I'm not up for that. Well, in heaven, in our natural state, we're all connected. We're more connected than separate. So they don't have the same kind of discussions, uh, but they will ask for volunteers. Most of the people on earth wanted to come here, even though it's a harsh place and it's the most difficult planet in this galaxy to have a life. um, The learning and the huge leaps in consciousness and growth are so strong and so big that for every hundred souls that's qualified to come here and wants to come here, there's only a body for one. But there are certain, I would say, high-level souls or specialists that are, they ask for volunteers to come down here to accomplish certain things and to sort of guide humanity. And these would be people who are sort of leaders, leading by example, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, um, Jesus, Mohammed, Buddha, any of the masters of the planets, the Dalai Lama, or, or any person who just seems to kind of be living on a different level. Those are probably volunteers that were asked to come down for special tasks. 
I see. I'm so glad you brought up those those different leaders such as Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus. I, I definitely want to get your take on who you think Jesus was or, or is, uh, you know, now and, and who he was when he when he walked the earth in, in human form. Do you think he was an actual human or maybe some type of uh, alien, divine alien being that came here to to fulfill a purpose? Well, we've all had many incarnations, and you don't start out incarnating in the physical lives on Earth just just as when a newborn child, you know, uh, gets to the point where they're walking, taking the first steps. You don't start them out on a trek up Mount Everest. It's it's too tough. So we've all had various lives on various planets, not just Earth, and Jesus is probably, as far as I can tell from the testimonies. And I haven't heard this directly, but it it seems obvious from everything I've heard. He's kind of like the core of God that works on behalf to help human beings as an advocate for us. So, yes, he incarnated here. He was human. Uh, Was he the son of God? Yes, uh, we all are. But he's a very special portion of God. He's kind of the the core or the, the main spiritual part of God that's working with us human beings down here. And he did perform his miracles. And we often take the masters of the planet and we elevate them to the status of God because they've done amazing things. And really what Mm -hmm. I think Jesus was trying to show us down here is what we're capable of becoming. That's why he said, greater things shall you do. And so he came down here to show us the message of love, to to bring us a message of unity, to try and change our consciousness and our perspective and our beliefs. And he was very successful at that. I mean, people still quote him today. I still quote him today. You know, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you, love and expect nothing back. I mean, those are, those are uh, (laughs) high spiritual values and words. And he's not quite like the Jesus of the Bible. For instance, the near-death experiences of met him in heaven say, it, you know, they don't fall at his feet and say, I'm not worthy. They say it's like talking to your best friend. You know, he's the most relaxed, easygoing, wise, kind, amazing, loving human being or, or spiritual entity you can imagine. And apparently he's got a great sense of humor. He will really make you laugh. So I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting him <laughs> someday many years from now. <laughs> Awesome, man. Awesome. I'm looking forward to meeting him as well one day. Now, you know, I wonder, and what are your thoughts on this in regards to his significance with on other planets? You mentioned that there are other planets throughout the universe, which is obvious, but I should say maybe life on other planets. So I guess we would be talking about alternate planets or alternate universes, but what are your thoughts in regards to his significance in these other places? Would it be the same as it is to here on Earth? Is Would he be a, this ascended master uh, to to those other, um, I don't even know if they're humans. I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but these other beings on other planets? Well, yes. So he would incarnate in one of their bodies. So there's all sorts of life in this galaxy. I, I can't speak to the life in the universe because mm. I haven't heard much about it. I've only heard a little bit. But most of the life in this galaxy is humanoid. But you'll get variations. There's insectoids mm. and reptilians and cat-like humans, feline uh, aquatics and all sorts of different variations, but most of them look similar to us, uh, humanoid. Then some of them you wouldn't, uh, you couldn't see the difference. And so I have heard from several near-death experiences 
where they were talking directly with Jesus, where they were told, yes, I've been to every planet in all times with intelligent life. And mm. some rejected him and some accepted him. So some people killed him or rejected him like we did. And some accepted him as a spiritual leader. Okay. Okay. And I've always heard about other beings in, in the galaxy as well. Uh, a couple that come to mind would be the Palladians. Um, I think another one would be the Galactic Federation. Uh, is this something that people that have had near-death experiences tell you about as well? Uh, yes, I've heard a little bit about that. There is a Galactic Federation of Worlds, and they have a prime directive where they're not supposed to interfere with undeveloped planets and they have transporters and things like that. And now some people listening may be thinking, this guy's making this up. He stole it from Star Trek. <laughs> no, Gene Roddenberry <laughs> is rumored, the creator of Star Trek is rumored to have met a Pleiadian and they look like us. And I do know that he attended oh. a group of Pleiadian trans channelers in the fifties. And I read actual Ooh. notes from those meetings and they talked about all this stuff. So, yes, there's this wow. federation of good aliens that the good aliens outnumber the bad by about 95 to 5. So 95% are good and they kind of keep the five in check. And the Pleiadians, who are they? So there's a lot of talk about the Pleiadians. When a species stops fighting each other and they learn to live with each other in peace and harmony and they learn to live with the environment in harmony... Uh, they really get moving. Now, we're probably about 50 years away from peace on Earth, and that's when things will really get moving. But we're still in the fighting each other stage. But the, And the Pleiadians went through that. Mm. But instead of a couple hundred years of technology like we've had, they've had several million years of technology. And, of course, there are lots okay. of different planets in the Pleiades. And your job becomes to seed life on another planet. So they, I don't know exactly how or what the mechanism was, they were instrumental in seeding human life on this planet. So they're like our cosmic parents. They're kind of watching over us. Uh, it's rumored with some of the Pleiadian channelers, there's people who channel messages. They say they have contact that they've had a, a protective blockade around our planet right now because we're the most important planet in the galaxy right now. We're kind of a critical component on the galaxy's future. And so we're being protected by them, but they're not going to show up and say hi because we're not ready yet, they would probably cause a panic. And the other problem is, you know, if I were to tell yeah. you, um, you got a neighbor, you've moved into a new neighborhood and there's a guy across the street. And I say, you see that guy over there? He spends half of his income on guns and military stuff and weapons. And if you knock on his door and he doesn't know you, he's not going to answer the door pointing a gun at you, but he's going to have it at his side ready to go. You probably wouldn't go up to mm -hmm. that neighbor, knock on his door. Well, I just described the U.S. government. Half of our money gets spent on military. Mm. And if a spaceship landed on the White House lawn, uh, would they be met with smiles and handshakes or would there be a military response? Yeah, I think you know the answer to <laughs> that. That would be a response. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what they will do to not cause a panic, and it may have already started, is they will start turning off their camouflage. So they have a way of camouflaging their ships. They'll start turning it off and let more and more people see them. And when everybody's seen the ships dozens of times and we don't feel threatened, then they'll land and introduce themselves. But we're probably years and years, possibly decades away from something like that. 
Wow. So I heard you say that we're probably about 50 years away from peace on Earth. Yes. Now, what have you been told through your research in regards to how that will happen? You know, are we looking to uh, advancing as a society or humanity further into darkness and then it's going to be a, a big event that we all come together or um, like, how is that going to play out? <laughs> what, have you been, what have you been told? I've heard some talk from near-death experiencers about what the future earth is going to look like 150 years from now. But the exact process of how we get there isn't really clear. There was one testimony hmm. where there was some timelines given and there was maybe five or six where I heard some common elements. Those common elements were there's going to be a few more wars. Uh, we may here in the United States be involved in one. There's not going to be a world war where all the major countries in the world are involved. That's kind of over with. Hmm. So, you know, the dance of consciousness is always one of two steps forward and one step back. And it doesn't take much of an intelligent person to take a look around at the world today and see that we're in a step back. So, it's just going to be kind of like we're either going to do it voluntarily or God's going to let us get so sick of our own behavior that we'll decide to do it. So it's like my uncle, you know, he got caught smoking cigarettes when he was 14 years old. So my grandpa took him in the basement and made him smoke cigarette after cigarette after cigarette till he threw up. You know, if you take too much <laughs> nicotine, you'll throw up. And my uncle never smoked again after that. And if we got to have a bad taste in our mouth by fighting each other and not getting along and, you know, doing all these underhanded things and all the secret things governments are doing and the reprehensible behavior of corporation and finance and, and all this stuff, if we don't learn to get along, things will get bad enough till until the time where we're forced to get along. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to be that second route, the way things are going and, and from the things I've heard. Wow, I see. Okay. Now, <clears throat> with your research, you know, talking to thousands of people regarding near-death experiences, what do they say they've been told regarding evil and darkness uh, here on Earth or in, in other realities or, or, or throughout the entire galaxy, I should say? And I ask this because I talked to uh, a guy by the name of Tom Campbell. He's the author of My Big Toe, and he does these meditations, which are called the Gateway Experience. In fact, um, well, the meditations, they were created by a guy named um, Robert Monroe back in the 70s, and, and Tom Campbell was like uh, his protege. And he told me that uh, he, during his out-of-body experiences, he was actually able to go to another Earth, and he was allowed to be in a, a body on this other earth, but this was granted by God. And then we got into this conversation about, about evil and darkness. And he said, he doesn't believe there's a such thing as evil and darkness, but it's more so what people conjure up in their, in their mind or something, you know, something to that regard. It's, it's like out of fear, you know, like we create these things, even if someone claims to have seen demons and things like that, they say it, it's all in their, he says it's all in their mind. What What are your thoughts on that? And, and spe specifically what you've been told by people that have had NDEs? Okay. Well, I would characterize, I, I haven't heard him specifically, but I would characterize everything you just said as accurate and in line with what I've learned. So mm. there's a common phrase or idea that I will hear in these interviews and in these testimonies. And that is, there is a perfect divine plan 
and it's working itself out in its perfection. Well, when you look around at the world today, it sure doesn't seem like that. It seems like everything's a mess and there's lots of evil and so forth. So let's talk about why this happens. One near-death experiencer described it pretty well in her near-death experience. She had had a life that was just full of suffering. I think she had, if I recall properly, she had been sexually abused as a child and the abuse continued in adulthood and I just had a miserable life of suffering. And when she was in her near-death experience, she was being taken around by these spiritual beings, one in particular, and she said, I want to know why I had to suffer so much. You know, what have I done to deserve that? And this being took her around and showed her all these different alien races, these beautiful races who are living in these utopian planets of peace and love and happiness Mm. and joy, you know, with very little conflict and problems. And she said, so what? Okay, well, what about my suffering? And this being explained to her, well, if it weren't for you doing what you're doing on earth, none of these places could exist. Well, it turns out that the benevolent, all-powerful source of everything that exists that we call God has this unconditional love. And that is our true nature. That's who we truly are. And there is no evil, really, in the afterlife other than that created by the collective consciousnesses of people in the afterlife who explore explore lower realms or or high-density realms, lower-vibration realms. And you would, would call these realms hell. So in creation, for the creation process to take place, the creator has to have a certain part of himself, and we're all part of the divine creator, we're all little facets of God, that experiences the opposite of unconditional love or has the option to experience the opposite. And so out of all the beauty of creation, the love of heaven, you know, the joy, the indescribable bliss that these near-death experiencers talk about in heaven, you know, they talk about it's like the best experience they've ever had in their lives. It was the all, it was the everything of life is to know that that love up there. You know, you think about the 100 happiest moments of your life and you put them all together and you don't even come close to what it feels like to be there. For that love of heaven hmm. to exist, there's got to be a few experiencing the opposite. And that's what we're doing down here. We're a tiny little pinpoint of creation that's experiencing the opposite. So we're doing a really important job for the creation process to take place and for the love of heaven to exist. And of course, those are just metaphors. I don't think we're going to understand the divine plan from our earthly perspective. But there's another perspective that is more earthly. And that is uh, near-death experiences are often told when they're in heaven, there are two ways to learn things slowly over time or quickly, but a side effect of that is suffering. So it's like, if I've got to go from where I am right now to, you know, a mile away, I can take a nice leisurely walk and it's comfortable, but it's going to take me 25 minutes or I can run as fast as I can. And I might get there in eight minutes, but I'm going to be sweating and out of breath and my legs are going to hurt. And I'll give you another example of this. You can slowly teach a child over time not to touch the hot stove. Every time the child gets near the hot stove, you gently take his hand away, say, no, sweetie, don't touch the stove. You're going to get hurt. And eventually he'll learn. Now, if you want to teach him fast through suffering, you can teach him that. You let him touch it one time. And in an instant, he learns. Mm. Now, energy is a very powerful, I'm sorry, (laughs) gratitude is a very powerful energy. 
And like any energy that human beings muster, because we are little facets, creator gods, just like the big God, anything we decide to feel or think, that kind of gets put out to the universe and multiplied and it comes back to us. So what we focus on is very important. So I'll give you this example with gratitude of how suffering can be a bigger generator of good energy if it's used properly. Hmm. There's there's two people. One guy's a billionaire. He's eaten in five-star restaurants his entire life. And there at home, his family's got seven top-notch chefs in the kitchen and they cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And he eats nothing but the best gourmet, wonderful foods. And he really appreciates that good food. So he's got gratitude. Now there's another man and he grew up in the streets of Haiti, very poor. He's got a family. Sometimes they go without food for a day or two or on rare occasion weeks. And he hasn't been able to get much work and his family and him have an eat in a couple of days. And he finally manages to get a job. And he, on the way home from work after a very long, hard day, you know, 12 hours of backbreaking, hard physical labor, he gets home to his family, all proud that he's got this bag of rice and bag of beans and they cook it up and they eat a meal which is fairly bland compared to what the billionaire eats on a regular basis. And they sit down and they have this first meal in two days. And the man is grateful that he's providing for his family. You know, that embarrassment that I'm not taking care of my family is gone. And it, I went without food for two days and I ate a piece of wheat toast and I hated wheat bread. That was the best meal I ever ate. <laughs> it would be very hard for that billionaire in his positive situation to muster the kind of gratitude that that poor man had after not eating two days and feeding right. his family. So s- through suffering, right, right. we learn really fast. Now, there's no right or wrong about how souls learn. You can choose to learn slow if you want without much suffering, but because the souls down here are daredevil souls, we tend to take on the, the fast track and that brings suffering with it. So that's a long answer to a simple question. <laughs> I love it though, man. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm very interested to hear some of the more notable, um, I guess, interviews or talks you've had with people that have had near death, death experiences. So when you think about all the years of research that you've done, is it one or two that really, really pop out for you? Yes, there are two that really are quite special to me. Um, Kathy Jordan, in her book, The Birth Called Death had extensive visits to heaven. And I thought her testimony was amazing. But still my favorite one is the first one I ever heard. And his testimony is online, Mm -hmm. Howard Storm, because he was an atheist. And he was one of these guys that was kind of a tyrant, you know, yelling, pounding your fist. There's one in every big organization, you know, is the boss that comes into the room and everybody's tension rises. You know, he was one of those guys. Yeah. And he didn't believe in God or any of that. And of course, he got into the afterlife and he was having a ne- negative experience and he called out to Jesus for help and it turned positive. And what I really liked about that testimony is that, you know, he's just kind of been a jerk before his NDE for most of his life. And he's realizing that now, you know, being in the afterlife. And he's getting taken towards this beautiful place of light and love. He can see heaven from where he is. And he looks at it and he thinks they've made a mistake, you know, because he felt like garbage, filth, scum, you know, like I'm not worthy to be there. And he was being brought to heaven by Jesus. Mm -hmm. He called out to help for Jesus. And they stopped and they weren't in heaven. They weren't in hell. They were in between. And Jesus stopped and spoke to him and addressed what he was thinking, which kind of alarmed him because he was like, 
oh no, this guy can read my mind. <laughs> and he said to him, you belong in heaven. We don't make mistakes. And you know, if that mm. guy, if that guy is loved and accepted, I think that's a, a crowning jewel of an example of God's unconditional love for us. You know, we kind of tend to have this yes. idea that, you know, it's like what religion teaches us, you know, well, if I'm good and I obey the rules, then I'll get rewarded. And if I'm bad, you know, even though God loves me, he's going to burn me in hell forever. And that's simply not the case. There isn't a single thing I or any other human being could do to make our heavenly father love us one bit less or more because his love is so huge beyond human imagination and so complete. It's impossible to do a better job of loving. And that just really struck me. And of course, we see evidence of that in the Bible. You know, Jesus was being hung on the cross. And, <laughs> you know, this guy next to him was a thief, spent his whole life as a thief. And he didn't ask for forgiveness. He just hinted around at a little mercy. He said, well, remember me when you're in your father's kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. And I just love that first testimony. <laughs> because it's such a strong message of God's unconditional love for us. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful, David. Thank you so much for sharing that. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the services you offer. So you offer spiritual counseling services. Tell me about that. What's what's involved in that and what do you help people do? Well, you know, when you have a spiritual awakening, whether it's a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience or what's called an STE, a spiritually transformed experience, it can be a little difficult because you're thoughts and your ideology is no longer aligned with society, or maybe there's things in the experience that confuses people. So I do counseling for people who are going through this. And I do have a program for those who are uh, within financial hardship. And, you know, I just do a, a Zoom type call and we kind of go over their issues and answer questions and get them started on the right path. And I'm usually able to help most people. There's a few difficult cases I haven't been able to help. And of course, I've refunded their money in those cases. Okay. But uh, most people I'm able to help. There was one guy in Egypt who was in a war-torn zone and just depressed. I mean, I couldn't do anything for him, unfortunately. I also have a book out okay. called God Took My Clothes. And if you're a really spiritual person, you know, you've had this going on since you were young, it's probably going to be basic information for you. But if you're, you know, fairly new to studying near-death experiences, it's kind of like a 101 overview of spirituality, who we are, what our purpose is on earth, you know, what the future holds, that kind of thing. And of course, if you want to take a look at it for free before you decide to pop 12 bucks on it, you can go to my website, godtookmyclothes.com. There's a link to the spiritual counseling, and there's also a link to download the first few chapters so you can read it and decide if it's for you or not. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you more about your spiritual counseling services that you offer. Can you kind of go into detail in regards to to how you help people? Is it just um, like a mentorship counseling? Um, do you teach people how to meditate? Um, I see you have the the picture of the chakras behind you. Do you teach people about that and how to open those up? What, what's involved? Well, it's very unique depending on the individual. For instance, I had one woman who was an atheist, a doctor in her 50s, who started having spontaneous out-of-body experiences at night. She was freaking out. So I just told her about all these other people who have it and wow. described the silver cord and got her to calm down. I explained she was safe. It depends on the individual. Sometimes I'll recommend certain meditations or certain kinds of exercises or certain mental tricks that you can use. And really, I probably wouldn't be that good of a counselor, but I get a lot of spiritual help. So when I get on with a client, I often start getting flashes of what's going on in their life, examples to give them. So I do a pretty good job, not because I'm 
great at it, but I get a lot of help from above my spiritual guides. So they generally help me out <laughs> quite a bit. Wow. Okay. Okay. And then one thing that has become, you know, more and more popular over the last couple of years here, actually several years at this point, is people using plant medicine to have these spiritual experiences. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, regarding things like DMT and ayahuasca. And I know even in the medical community, they've done a lot of research. I believe they're doing trials or maybe even in Oregon, they are actually um, uh, treating patients that, that have, you know, that have had some, some psychological or mental, mental illness with, uh, with mushrooms as well. All right. So let's address what psychedelics are. Psychedelics, from a medical standpoint, they uh, psychedelics such as psilocybin, the active ingredient magic mushrooms, um, lysergic acid, dimethyl, LSD, uh, mescaline, <laughs> dimethyltryptamine, DMT, whether you smoke it or whether you take it within ayahuasca, that's the active ingredient in ayahuasca. They can tend to cause a person to have spiritual experiences because what happens is they shut down or they dampen the logical mind. So you become very intuitive and maybe more spiritually connected. And that actually has caused a few people to have, you know, spiritual epiphanies. A lot of the flower children and hippies in the 60s had that. Well, if you take a high enough dose, right. you know, it really shuts down that logical mind and all that's left is the connection of the divine to the spirit world. And so I think they have a real value. They're kind of a shortcut and they can kind of act as an emotional cleansing to kind of get you started. I have okay. also noticed that people who use these as a tool in a limited way, and I don't recommend that anybody, um, especially if they're dealing with mental illness or have that in their family, use psychedelics. But for those who, you know, try that tool out in the right environment and under the supervision of a shaman or, or some sort of spiritual expert uh, may have some great leaps in con consciousness and I myself in my younger foolish days dabbled in psychedelics and I did have some spiritual experiences and it was um, a connection wow. to nature that was very difficult to verbalize. I mean, I see nature way different today than I saw it before. <laughs> and that first step of seeing it different was psychedelics. And then later I learned that nature has a consciousness and is alive and so forth. So it's interesting to note that when a person uses that tool to increase their spirituality, if they keep using the tool, it can ruin the journey. Generally, they'll get to a certain point where they no longer use the tool. And just like a child, you know, if they keep the training wheels on the bicycle too long, it hampers their development. Same with psychedelics. So, yes, they can be used very effectively in various ways in limited amounts to treat depression, to treat uh, anxiety of death, um, all sorts of things. But I think there has to be a lot more study and a lot more understanding of the side effects before they're used in a medical application that's widespread. But I'm very happy to see that the, there's more and more medical institutions and experts who are studying it now because I think they have some real value. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you as well. Thank you for that. You know, winding things down here, I have a couple more questions for you, David. Uh, and I think you kind of touched on this a bit earlier, but let's talk about the the power of thoughts and words. I saw a video that you you did on on YouTube. Um, I don't know. I can't remember how long ago it was, but you you talked about the power of thoughts and words and how those two things truly can shape our reality. Tell tell me about that. Tell us about that, please. 
Sure. One of the first things I heard when I started investigating near-death experiences is that people would be in heaven and they were told that their thoughts and words were powerful. And they would come back and say things like, well, if I had any idea, if I would have known how powerful my thoughts and words are, I would have been much more careful with my thoughts and words. And then, of course, later I came to realize that, you know, we are little facets of God and therefore we can create and you create with your thoughts and words. And so you'll hear people say things like, I am just sick and tired. Well, don't say that. (laughs) Say you've had enough. You are a powerful creator being. You keep saying that, you're going to bring that into reality. And it's not like I say, you know, oh, I'm going to win the lottery tomorrow one time and it happens. It's it's like uh, putting a penny in a jar, you know, and eventually the jar gets filled up and it happens. So manifesting is a real thing. Right. And it begins with thoughts uh-huh. and words. And of course, the real powerful part of manifesting is the emotion, feeling the emotion of having the thing which you're saying. So... You know, if you've got physical problems, you say things like, you know, you can't convince yourself that you feel great when you're in chronic pain, for instance. You know, I had chronic pain for 15 years. You can't say, oh, I feel great. You can't lie to yourself. You're not going to have the emotion. But what you can do is you can trick your unconsciousness. You can say something like, even though I happen to be in pain right now, every day I'm healing a little bit and every day I'm feeling better and I'm happy because I know that I will be healed. or You know, if you have an enemy, you know, oh, well, I don't like that person. But when they show up for the family get together, I'm just going to be nice to them because I'm going to recognize they're part of the family. I mean, if you say something enough, it starts to happen. And I remember something that from my youth, when I was a, a college student, I would go out drinking with buddies. We'd have theme nights. And we'd have like scumbag night where we dressed up like homeless people. And, you know, we could see if we get into restaurants. And we had rich jerk night where we pretended to be rich and arrogant. And one of the nights we had was angry idiot night where we were angry at everything and yelling at everything. And something very unusual happened. By the end of the night, we were actually angry. Wow. Lots of words have power. <laughs> Lots of words have power. Yes, so they do. It's real careful when one is thinking and speaking to always keep things positive. You know, you don't say, well, I'm not going to be out of shape anymore. That's kind of saying a negative thing. You say, I am in shape. I have a healthy body or I'm getting in better in shape every day. I'm eating better every day. And if you say something enough, it starts to take place. Now, down here on earth, that manifesting process is very slow and drawn out. So you got to, you know, repeat and then feel the emotion of it. And it's going to take a while. Uh, but it, it does work. The uh, The spiritual concept of the law of attraction does work. It's not like they present it sometimes, you know, I'm not going to manifest myself into uh, being the ruler of earth or we can't all manifest ourselves in <laughs> having our own cruise ships, you know, but, but it does work. And I've seen it work right. in my life and in other people's lives. Excellent. Very cool, man. Very cool. All right, David, final question for you, sir. This is something I ask each guest that appears on the Hidden Gateway podcast, and that is to please leave our listeners with what I like to call a token of love. It's simply something that you think uh, the people need to hear in this moment in their life, something that they can take with them as they continue their personal journeys. Oh, that's a tough one, a token of love. I'm giving you a lot of editing to do today. <laughs> I get I get in this weather. I get, oh, it's uh, all good, man. 
Yeah, no worries. I'm going to take a second on this one. Sure, sure. Take as long as you need, man. Okay. You know, since the time we're children, we're brought up to adapt our behavior to be loved by others. If you think about it, our bodies aren't that great compared to some in the animal kingdom. We don't have sharp teeth. We don't have big claws. We couldn't survive very well in nature. We need each other. I mean, we became the dominant species on the planet because we cooperate with each other. And every human being is aware that if I don't have my community, I can't survive. If you don't have people producing food and you know, trucks shipping into the stores and electricity coming into your house and heating for the wind, you're going to die. Every human being knows that. And every child knows that without their parents, they're lost. And what do they learn when they're children? Don't do that. And the parents punish them and separate them when they're not behaving the way they're supposed to. And so we learn very early on that love is dependent on us behaving a certain way. And that's just not the case with God. We are loved and adored no matter what we do, no matter how badly we screw up, no matter what horrible thing anybody listening to this thinks they've done. I've, had, I've got some doozies in my life. And just to know that we're loved no matter what we do. Now, that inspires me. And I'll tell you why. You know, you imagine a, a guy's got a, a business, man's got a business and his, his son is going to be taking over. And uh, he gives that business over to his son and his son starts to run it into the ground. <laughs> the dad's not going to disown the son. Yeah. He still loves him just as much, you know, and our heavenly father right, loves us right, no matter right. what we do. And what inspires me is that the son is probably going to not run it into the ground. He's probably going to do all he can to make that business successful because he knows his father loves him so much. And so I think that's the inspiring message mm-hmm. that we, we have this unconditional love and how are we going to return that love by being the best version of ourselves that we can be by being the best child of, of God that we can be. And he's okay when we screw Ooh, up, okay when we make that. mistakes, he knows it's going to happen. We need to cut ourselves and others lots of slack. We're loved no matter what the end game is. We're going home to heaven no matter what happens. Wow, there it is. Very powerful. One of the best I've heard, man. Thank you so much, David. It has been a true cheat, a true pleasure to have you on the Hidden Gateway podcast this evening. And if you could, please take a quick second, again, to tell people your website where they can find you, if you have any social media, where they can buy your book, et cetera. Sure. My book's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, in both paperback and e-format. And if you want spiritual counseling or to download a preview copy of the book, it's GodTookMyClothes.com. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Very good. Thank you, sir. And to our audience, we really hope you enjoyed this episode as well. Remember, stay connected with us at TheHiddenGateway.com. Shoot us an email at support at TheHiddenGateway.com. And thank you, as always, for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This will conclude this week's episode. Until next time, stay positive, stay questioning, be love, and be free. The Hidden Gateway, out.